Well, good evening, everyone. Good to be with you here tonight. It's always a joy for me to get to share at my home church. Some of you are aware of the ministry that I get to lead, which is called Established Footsteps. You've been a part of some of the things we've done over the years, but I know that there are probably some of you here who are not, and I don't want to take a lot of time to go into any of that, but we do have a table in the back of uh, some of our ministry resources and information and and specifically some things about um, our Living Light local outreach programs to women, and we'd love to share more about that with you if if you don't know much about EF or if you just want to reconnect with us. So really encourage you to stop by by there um, before the evening's over and we leave later on. But I know that God has some neat things to share with us tonight, and I've really been looking forward to being here. One of the things that I get to do as a part of Established Footsteps is do a lot of women's events like this, but there's really something special to me about getting to do that here at home and getting to share with uh, many of you that I know and at least know as an acquaintance and many of you who are friends of mine. But even though this is my home church, I know there are a lot of things I don't know about you and there are a lot of things you don't know about me either. And so I thought to just get started tonight, I want to tell you about two marker moments in my childhood. One thing you may not know about me is when I was growing up, I was a year-round competitive swimmer. So I spent a lot of time in the pool, and that was fine with me. The, the swimming was fine. But during the winter months, most of the time, our coaches also liked for us to run. And what you may not know about me also is that I absolutely hated running. I did not run. And so what would happen is they would put us in the pool and then they would have another group over there running. And usually my group started in the pool. And so when the coach came to switch us, I would always go underwater and hide and hold my breath and hope he wouldn't know so that I didn't have to join that group. And a lot of times it worked and it was great because then I could just stay in the pool and swim some more. Now, none of that changed as I went on into high school, still hated running. I don't know if any of you uh, remember that thing. I don't know, maybe they still do it today, but I thought it was the worst thing in the world when they would make us run the 600. Does anybody remember that? I could not run that. And there was no way I would even think of running that. And so on those days when the 600 was supposed to be run, I usually was aware of when that was coming up. And so uh, my mom's here tonight and she may not be aware of this, but that was the day that I always faked sick. And so true confessions for me, I didn't go to school those days because I hated running. Now as prophet would have it, I married a runner, okay? He's somebody that ran all through high school, college. He was an all-American runner. He loves running races, but nothing changed for me because I still hated running. Now, you fast forward through all of that many, many, many years, and you get to January the 1st, 2011. And I had made a commitment to the Lord that I was going to walk, not run, walk, 500 miles, which was a lot, you know, between January the 1st and June 22nd, because June 22nd was the fifth anniversary of Established Footsteps being birthed as a ministry. And so I wanted to use this as a time to vision and pray and reflect with the Lord. And so January the 1st, 2011, I hit the street walking and I knew it was a lofty goal, but I was excited about it. And you know what? I loved it. I, I loved the whole experience. It was, it was a lot of miles and a lot of hours out there in my neighborhood, but it was really a wonderful experience. So about the first part of May, uh, one morning I'm out there and I'm just praying and talking to the Lord as I'm getting my miles in and I'm about to hit the 400th mile. 
And I remember saying something like this to the Lord. You know, God, I have enjoyed this so much. And in 100 miles, this is going to be over. What am I going to do then? I'm going to be really sad when this is all over. And as clear as anything, these are the words that rose up in my heart. You're going to run 500 miles. <laughs> I laughed out loud, really. If a car had ridden by, they would have seen me laughing on the side of the street because there was no way. I was like, God, don't you remember this chick does not run. There is no way I am going to run 500 miles. So I just kind of laughed it off and thought, oh, God, you're so funny. And I kept walking. But you know what? Have you ever had the Lord start speaking to you about something and you think, ah, he didn't mean that. And it just will not go away. And for days, it just kept bugging me. And I couldn't get away from this thought of running 500 miles. But my first thought was, I used to hide in the pool. I used to lie to my mother. There's no way that I am going to be able to run. God, I can't even run down the street. How in the world do you think I'm going to run 500 miles? But finally, I just couldn't stand it any longer. It was just bothering me. And so I remember the day very clearly. It was May the 24th, 2011, and I pretty much just put a stake in the ground and I said, all right, God, look, if you want to speak to me about this, today is the day. I got my eyes open, my ears open, I'm listening for you, but if you don't say it today, it's over because I'm not worrying about it anymore. The only people that knew anything about it were my husband because he knew. He laughed too when I told him. He said, you're not going to run. He'd been trying to get me to run for years and knew I wouldn't, and I had told one friend. That was the only people that knew. So I went through the whole day, eyes open, ears open, waiting for God to speak to me and knowing that he wasn't going to because he knew that I couldn't run. So listened all day long and nothing. And that was totally fine with me because I didn't want to run anyway. So about 10 o'clock that night, I'm going to bed, very relieved. A lot of times before I go to bed, I'll check Facebook. So I go in there to check Facebook real quick and lo and behold... (laughs) This cousin of mine, who God often uses to speak into my life, lives all the way up in New York. Didn't know anything about this. This is what he had written on my wall earlier that evening. It said, Sharon, I keep praying for you. And I keep reading this in the word. And I always think of you. Run and not be weary. <laughs> and I was, It's almost midnight, God. Why did I have to look? Because if I had seen it tomorrow, it wouldn't have mattered. But it did matter. See, the only person in the whole universe that I would have even considered running for was God. And I knew that he had been very clear. It was just something I knew in my heart. And I knew there was no way I could hide. There was no way I could lie because it's God, you know. And so the next morning, not having a clue in the world how to run and not wanting to do it, being pretty mad about the whole thing, actually, I started the transition from walking to running. And here's what I would do. I mean, this is how bad it was. I would walk to one house, and then I would run to the next. And then I would walk to the next house, and then I would run to the next. And it was so bad. I mean, by the end of that, I thought I was going to throw up. And I thought, God, you are crazy if you think that I'm going to do this. But one of the things that I learned during that whole hundred miles of transitioning from walking to running was that I had to focus everything. I mean, it was going to take a divine miracle of God to teach me how to run. So every bit of energy had to be focused on him. If my neighbor had a new wreath on the door, 
couldn't turn the head to look. If somebody got a new car down here, could not turn my head and look at the new flowers, whatever. I had to focus in one place only. I had to fix my eyes on the energy that God would give me. And learning to run for me was one of the hardest things I have ever, ever done in my life. But On December 31st, nothing like making it to the very last day, okay? December 31st of 2011, I actually ran my 500th mile, and my running, loving husband took a picture as I rounded the corner and came into the the driveway, and that's it. So, yes, praise God. Only... Only a divine miracle that I was able to do that. And, but anyway, there, there was just this feeling, you know, of I had endured. And I had done what God had asked me to do. Now, you fast forward to this new year that we're in right now, 2013. And I have to, in looking back, tell you that I'm really glad that God asked me to do that. It's hard as it was. See, God went before me and he called me to do something that was hard. Harder than I thought I could do. And he trained me how to fix my eyes on him. See, only God knew how much I would need to learn how to endure through something hard. God went before me in 2011 because God knew what was coming in 2012. 2012 for me, I'm 47 years old, and I would tell you that 2012 began probably the hardest season that I've ever known in my life. In fact, earlier, um, before we got to 2012, about probably September of 2011, while I was learning how to run, the Lord spoke a word to me one day. I was in a worship service at a church down in Florida after I had done a retreat. And uh, the Lord just spoke the word through. And it was like he started showing me this movie of people in the word that went through. Like, you know, the children of Israel went through the wilderness. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went through the fiery furnace. All these things. And I was thinking, what in the world? And when 2012 began, I knew what he was talking about. A certain thing started to happen. Now, it's hard for me to really know how to share with you uh, some of the details, and I really had to seek the Lord about how to even say some of these things tonight. And what I believe he's put on my heart is just to be really discreet and simple. And I hope that we won't even get caught up in any of these details because it's not really what it's about. It's just a backdrop for you to understand what the work that God's been doing and that I think he wants to do in many of us here tonight as well. But in 2012, as it began, our family entered into some brokenness that we never dreamed we would um, have to experience. Uh, One of the relationships um, with somebody so incredibly dear to us, I mean, I can't even put words to how dear this relationship is, Um, it was attacked from every angle that you could imagine. And we literally watched for months as it just unraveled before our very eyes. And it didn't matter what we did. And believe me, we did. We did everything we knew to do and then some. But it just kept breaking more and more and more. There were days that uh, I just wanted to crawl in a hole and die. (laughs) Many days. And there still are. Um, I can't even begin to tell you the raw hurt that I carry in my heart, even, even to this night tonight. But in the midst of all of that going on, and still going on, in 2012, I was also trying to handle one of the busiest speaking and writing schedules I had ever known. 
And if you know anything about doing this kind of thing, if you've ever had to get up and teach the word or share um, a witness for Christ, you know that it's not a mechanical thing. You don't just like do it mindlessly and heartlessly. I mean, you pour your heart and your mind and your soul and your very relationship with Christ into it. And so when all of that seems like it's in a whirlwind as your life is unraveling, that's very challenging to do. Also during that year, uh, my very dear friend and ministry assistant who had been working with us for many years and who I relied on greatly, Kelly Shepard, many of you know her, she goes here to church, uh, was walking through probably the darkest time in her life with a sickness that was just, you know, attacking her body. And so she wasn't able to work much. And, uh, you know, as a friend, I was hurting for her. And yet we had all these things to do. And so trying to walk through all of that. I mean, just so many things affecting the day to day. And eventually in August, she ended up having to resign. And in August as well, my husband lost his job, very unexpectedly was fired from his job. And so all of these things just seemed to be unraveling every time I turned around. And yet the demands of the journey of life called me to just keep going and pressing on and keep running. Even though, just like when I was learning to run, it seemed like every step I took, there was just this raw pain. But like when I was learning how to run, I had to endure. I I had to keep going. And just like when I was learning how to run, there were many, many days that I thought, God, I cannot take another step. I can't. There were days that my tears literally brought me to the place of throwing up. And I was like, God, what are you doing? Don't you know who I am? You know, I am the girl. I don't do pain like this. I hide from pain. Remember, I'll figure out a way to not make it happen for me. I couldn't believe what he was asking me to go through. And the problem was, I didn't have a clue how to do it either. How to endure. But little by little, as I cried out to God, he's been teaching me how. And a lot of it goes back to those lessons that he taught me when he was teaching me how to run. You know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so amazing. And I know many of you know that in your own lives. I mean, often he does not give us the answers that we want in the moment. Oh, we wish he would, but often he doesn't. But what he does give us is his presence. And his presence is this just amazing, divine thing that you can't even really describe. But the Bible describes him as our comforter, as our counselor, as our teacher, our protector, and so many things. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit began to just work in my life as I cried out to him, that he began to say to me again and again and again, remember when I taught you how to run, Sharon? You had to focus. You had to fix your eyes on one thing. It's the same right now. We're going to endure this. And you have got to fix your eyes. One day that was especially difficult, the Holy Spirit just dropped this picture of the cross in my mind. Now, you may think, the cross? I mean, didn't you know what the cross looked like? Yes, I grew up in church, and I mean, I've been around crosses all my life, seen them made out of anything and everything, you know, worn one around my neck. I mean, I knew the image of the cross. And yet, on this particular day, when I was crying out to the Holy Spirit to just help me take another step, I I can remember, I was sitting right at the stoplight at Jefferson Avenue in Oyster Point, and this picture of the cross just dropped into my mind. And it was unlike anything I had ever really thought about the cross. And I'm going to try to describe it for you. And I've got some visuals and hopefully that you're going to be able to follow along with me. 
But I saw the horizontal line, you know, the line that goes this way of the cross as man living on the earth. You know, we're over here, we're doing our thing and we're buying groceries and striving for success and having kids and buying new clothes and running after children and paying the bills and having a problem in this relationship and dealing with this issue and getting sick and going to the doctor and taking back. I mean, you know, just all the stuff, right, that we do on the earth and we all do it. All the things that we have to do running through this life. It's like, it's like a horizontal line, this plane that we live on, and it's all weighted down by a cloak of sin and brokenness. Because even the things that happen in this life that are wonderful, they still have their issues, don't they? <laughs> I mean, think of some of the greatest moments. Even then, they had maybe a tone of this or misunderstanding this or whatever. I mean, because we live in this place that's broken and cloaked down by sin. But then I saw the vertical line of the cross, where the holy love of a mighty God reached down to us in this broken place, where the very best of God meets the very worst of man. And there's this connection point that happens. And the cross really changed for me that day. I mean, it's still the place where Jesus died for my sins, and I will always worship him for that. But on that day, it became a picture of how to live. And I want to talk to you some about that tonight. See, we've got our broken lives, the horizontal line of the cross. And you have God's love reaching down. That's Christ's life. I mean, it's very crazy that that God would even reach down into our brokenness And yet he does. And the question for us tonight is, as we all think about the things that we have to endure in this brokenness, what are we doing? How are we responding to his reaching? See, some people never really respond. They just are so caught up and focused in all this stuff going on in this horizontal life. So focused on the kids, so focused on the house, so focused on the vacation, so focused on this and that and the problem and this. And every now and then they run by this connection place and they may even glance at it. They may even step inside every now and then. They may even talk to the connection place and and, and try to connect with God, but really their focus is here. And then some people see this connection place that God has brought into their brokenness and they're drawn and they say, I have got to get with God. The God of heaven has connected with me and I've got to get with him. And you know what? When they do, this amazing thing happens and it's called grace. Grace. You know, we all know that that's not a picture of the cross, right? That's not the cross. The cross is where the horizontal is raised up, right? We know what the cross looks like. And here is what the Lord has been teaching me in this endurance run that began in 2012. Life is really hard. (laughs) That's probably not any news to any of us, right? I mean, it's really hard. And as long as we're alive on this horizontal place of brokenness and sin, every one of us are going to have to deal with things that we would have never chosen for our lives. We would never say, oh, I want that to happen. You're going to have to go through something like that. You're going to think, God, I didn't choose that. I don't want this. And yet you're called to endure through it. The good news is that God in his love has reached down to us in this horizontal place that we live in. His love reaching down into us. And if 
we will respond to his reaching and allow this connection place with him to be the center of our focus and where we fix our eyes, then you know what happens? We become what Paul calls in the New Testament, we become a partaker of his grace. It's not that the grace is there, we actually become a partaker of it. And you know what begins to happen? God begins to raise our lives up. And that's the picture of the cross, where the grace flows out across this horizontal place of brokenness. Doesn't mean you don't have to go through it. Doesn't mean you don't have to endure through it. It's just now you're raised up above it and you see it differently. You know, the Bible speaks again and again about living a raised up life, doesn't it? The Bible speaks about living an upright life. The Bible speaks about standing on a rock that is higher than we are. And as the Holy Spirit put this visual into my mind, I thought, that's it. I can't escape this situation. But if I will get with God, if I will fix my eyes there, he will begin to raise me up out of it and I will see it differently. And his grace will begin to flow over this situation. And I have found that is so true as I have walked through this season again and again, coming to this place of connection with the Lord, saying, God, I cannot do this. I got to fix my eyes on you and just watching as he pours out the grace to get through that day. Now you may have never looked at the cross that way before. Honestly, I hadn't either. But I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit has used that visual again and again and again. Because I began to see that my life was very focused on all this horizontal stuff that was going on in that season. All those things I described to you a few minutes ago that were going on in my life. I was so focused on those things. Now it doesn't mean that I wasn't coming to church. Oh, I was coming to church. Doesn't mean I wasn't reading my Bible. I was every day. But even though I was doing those things, my heart focus and my mind focus was so fixated on this pain and this problem and how are we going to deal with this issue and I don't have enough help and and how are we going to live? My husband lost his job and I couldn't stop thinking about all these things until the Lord began to say, Sharon, leave those things. Come, fix your eyes. And when you fix your eyes, your life is going to be raised up and you're going to live a cross-centered life and you're going to live in the grace and the power that I have given you. I want to tell you about one of the things that the Lord began to teach me as I started focusing more and fixing my eyes more. I realized that Jesus wasn't asking me to do anything that he hadn't already done himself. One of the verses that God brought me to when I was learning how to run, literally run, was in Hebrews 12. And I know some of you probably have a Bible with you here tonight. If you do, you might want to turn there. If not, we're going to certainly have the scriptures up on the screen. But in Hebrews 12, this is what it says, the first couple verses. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I was learning how to run, God brought me back to those verses again and again about fixing my eyes and running with endurance, you know. But when I began this endurance run of 2012, which was much harder and still is harder, 
God began to speak to me about these things in a new way, about laying aside these encumbrances and letting them be over here in this horizontal stuff of the world and coming and connecting with him, about not getting entangled in all these issues and details of all that stuff, but trusting him and fixing my eyes on him, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And God brought me also to verse 3. And added it in, it says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. And I began to realize that God was asking me to consider Jesus and how he endured, to really look at how he endured through it. And that's what I want us to do tonight as we continue to think about fixing our eyes and how we're responding individually to this connection that God is trying to make with us in all of our brokenness. Over in Psalm chapter 22, if if you've got a Bible again, you may want to turn there. We're going to look for a minute. You know, uh, the New Testament is full of, of information for us about Jesus and the things that he went through on the earth. We can read all about those in the Gospels. I've been reading through the New Testament a lot this year already and and reading through a lot of those things. And you find all of that in the New Testament. But you know what? In the Old Testament, it talks a lot about that as well. There's a lot of prophecy about the details of what Jesus was going to experience. And Psalm 22 is actually one of these places. And King David wrote this psalm, but it's prophetic words about many of the things that Jesus was going to suffer through while he was on the earth. Specifically, things on the cross a lot here in Psalm 22. In fact, it begins with words that I'm sure you've heard that Jesus said on the cross. The very first verse says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus said that when he was on the cross. We know that, right? But if you continue reading through Psalm 22, you find that Jesus felt alone and forsaken. He felt like God had forgotten him. He felt worthless, like nobody cared. People were mocking him. They were mocking his faith. Every time he turned around, there were people against him in battles. He knew all the time that Satan was out to destroy and to kill him. He was totally sapped of his strength, his heart was melting, his hope was pierced, his body was sick and dying. Everybody was staring at him, like wondering, what in the world's going on with you? And yet they were taking advantage of him all at the same time. I mean, I read through that and I go, oh, Jesus felt like me, you know? And I'm sure as you hear some of those things, some of you in this room tonight are going through some really hard things. And you're like, wow, I I feel like that. I, I felt like a lot of those things. And the Holy Spirit began to show me that as Jesus lived on this horizontal plane, just like we do because he came and lived among us, right? He took on flesh and lived here with us. He had to fix his eyes too. In fact, in that passage in Hebrews that we just read, this is what it said about Jesus. It said, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So I began to wonder, okay, God, I could use some joy. (laughs) And I'd sure like to fix my eyes on some joy because this is a really hard time. So what is that joy that was set before him? And immediately I thought heaven. Okay, well, he's thinking about when he's going to get to be with you. And, you know, of course, he knows what it's like in heaven. So he could think about that as he's enduring the cross. That's Jesus. But then I began to think, you know, I think there's got to be something in the moment. Because when you're hurting and it's raw, and many of you know what I'm talking about, I mean, heaven sounds really nice, but hello, uh, I need something right now 
to still my anxious heart, to restore my soul, to give me some peace, to give me some hope. And so I began to seek the Lord about that as I was in Psalm 22. And this is what he began to show me. (laughs) That moment by moment, many times throughout the day, I was seeking his grace. And right here for Jesus, as he fixed his eyes, do you know what Psalm 23 is about? Most of us do, right? (laughs) And what I began to realize is, When I understood what was in Psalm 22, and now Psalm 23 is right on its heels, I began to wonder, is that what Jesus was fixing his eyes on? Is that what he was seeing? Is that the joy that was set before him? Let me read it for you here. Is this what Jesus was fixing his eyes on as he endured the cross? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I read that, the Lord just began to bring revelation to me that this Psalm 23 that many of us have maybe memorized as a child or heard at a funeral or we have it in a you know, plaque in our house or on a card we keep in our Bible, that this is the joy that was set before Jesus. This is what he was able to focus on and fix his eyes on in the moment. Yes, he was looking toward heaven, but this is where he found that peace to endure. You know, Jesus endured the totality of everything you and I will have to face while he was on the cross. And he was able to focus on the joy set before him. And don't mistake it, just because he's God, it was still an endurance run for him. In fact, in Hebrews, it says he despised the shame. Just like you or I hate the sickness that we're having to endure through maybe, or the cancer diagnosis for ourselves or a loved one, or maybe a broken relationship we can't seem to fix, or the uncertainty, or the lack, or the challenge, whatever it is, we despise these things, right? We don't want them in our lives, and yet we're called to endure, like Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, there's grace for us to do that. When God reached down to us, he set this grace right in our midst. His best meets our brokenness, And if we'll stop all of this and meet and fix our eyes on him here, we'll find some amazing, amazing things. And I want us to talk tonight about what we find by looking at Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what I found as I've meditated on this and fixed my eyes here on this joy, is that I can endure because I have everything I need. You know, just like Jesus, a lot of times I might feel alone, I might feel abandoned, I might feel like God has forgotten me and what I need. But when I come to the place where I'm fixing my eyes 
on him, I find that's not true. (laughs) Not only is the Lord belong to me and I to him, what does he say here? The Lord is my shepherd. What else does it say? It says, I shall not want. In other words, I have everything that I need, everything. The divine, perfect God of heaven has come down into my brokenness and he's laid it out before me, whatever I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, you know, he's given me a beautiful place to live in. He he gives me peace as he leads me beside quiet waters. When I think I cannot take another step, what does it say? He restores my soul. I know many times when we're going through something really challenging, and some of you tonight are probably in this very place, you're like, I just don't even know what to do next. I don't know what the next step is. What does this say? He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When we fix our eyes, we can endure. Because we have everything we need right there. It's right before us in this place where he's met us in our brokenness. What else? Verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, I've found, as I've meditated on this, that I can endure when the fear is gone, when the fear is taken away. You know, when we struggle through anything in this life, Fear just tends to be like right here, doesn't it? (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like it will not leave you alone and it's always talking in your ear. You know, fear has a voice constantly speaking to you about things. And I don't use this phrase often, but fear does not know when to shut up. I hate that word. Well, we don't say that in our house. But fear does not know when to shut up. It's always talking. And you know what it talks about? Death. Always talking about death. And there's a reason why. Because sin produces what? (laughs) Death. And we live on a plane of sin and death. And so fear is constantly talking to us about death. Now, it might be physical death. And if you're enduring through a physical challenge or a sickness, that, that's a real fear. And it, it's constantly talking to you. Or if you're enduring through that with someone else, it's constantly talking to them and maybe to you too. But it's not just a physical death. It could be death of a dream. Death of a relationship, death of a hope, death of a job, death of so many different things in our lives. And usually when we're enduring through something, fear just keeps talking. It will not be quiet. On the cross, as Jesus was enduring, he was certainly looking death right in the face. I mean, just read in Psalm 22 and you'll see that. But where was it that Jesus fixed his eyes? Right here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. How could he say that? Because he knew his eyes were fixed on the truth that the Lord was with him. He didn't have to fear evil. I learned something recently from a pastor that I listened to a lot, and he said, There's no risk when you align yourself with the Lord. No risk. He's God, okay? There's no risk. And I realized there's no fear. When he's with me and I'm with him and I'm focused and my eyes are fixed on him and all that he brings, all the blessings of his grace that he brings into my brokenness, there is no fear. And I can endure when the fear is taken away. Even though maybe I thought I couldn't, I can. And I know you can too. 
as we respond to his reaching and we fix our eyes. Let's read verse five. It says, thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, I've found that I really can endure when I can get a break (laughs) and when God fills me up. When he fills me up. When I first started learning how to run, I couldn't go very far. I mean, I told you already, just like to the next house. But I always took a, a water bottle with me because I didn't get very far that I needed to stop and take a break and, and drink some water. But the more I learned to focus on the Lord, and I know it sounds crazy, but God's just real, you know, and he really does work. The more I learned to fix my eyes, I was able to leave the water behind and run like long distances. I even went running this morning. I mean, it's way past 2011 and I'm still running because God has shown me so many benefits in that. And that really has become my prayer time and my worship time with him. And and I'm so thankful. Who would have ever thought? I mean, God can change anyone. I'm telling you, he can do that. But you know, I thought for so long, I just got to have a break and I got to provide that for myself. And I know that as many of us are walking through different things, we often say stuff like this. If I could just get rid of this pain for one day, if I didn't have to think about this for one hour, then I'd be all right. Have you ever said anything like that? You know, just give me a break and I'll be okay. I just got to have a break when we're having our meltdown or whatever we do, you know? But here's the thing. The Lord will give us the break. And he won't just give you a bottle of water. He'll give you a feast in the middle of the road, you know. He'll do that for you. What is it here that Jesus says? Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows right in the middle of whatever it is. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. The enemies might be everywhere, just like they were around Jesus. And we've got our eyes on him. And God just lays a spread out in front of us and gives us whatever we need. He's so good. And then it says he anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. Now, what is that about? You know, I get the table, but the oil on my head, I'm not, I'm not so sure about. Well, the oil in our head is the Holy Spirit just being poured out upon us. The divine life of God just being poured on us so much so that we've got enough to just let it spill out. So even while we're going through this really horrible thing, whatever it is, we can turn around and bless other people. We can turn around and have the joy of the Lord. And people are like, how do you do that? It's like the divine life of God is just flowing into me. That's all I know to tell you. He, he like laid out a table before me and poured it all on me. You think about Jesus. How in the world, when he was on the cross, enduring pain that you and I will never experience, and we think we have it so bad, how is it that he was able to look at that thief next to him and and worry about his eternity? (laughs) How is it that he was able to look at the people beneath him who were inflicting this pain upon him and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know how? Because God had poured so much into him, he had more to pour out even in the midst of it. And the same respite is available to every one of us if we'll respond to the place where God has reached down to us, that place of grace. And we can endure. We can. That's the truth. Because God himself, the divine God of heaven, gives us the break that we need and fills us up. One more verse here. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I've found that I can endure when my mind is set on eternal things. You know, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we get with him, 
He's always whispering eternity. Always. We find out that the things that we're dealing with, he sets those things that seem like they'll just never end, and he sets them alongside eternity, and we get perspective. That's part of the whole, you know, getting raised up thing on the cross. You know, we get raised up in this grace flows, and we go, oh, wow, that's only going to last this long, and I'm going to be alive for this long, and I'm going to get to experience all this eternity with you, God. Oh, okay, I get it. And we get this eternal perspective. But you can't have an eternal perspective when you're fixated and focused on all this out here. It just doesn't work that way. Our mind cannot be set on eternity when our focus is on all this life going on out here. And what starts happening when we're focused on all of this is fear starts screaming at us. And we feel alone. And we feel forsaken. And we feel like nobody's ever going to help us. And, and where are we ever going to get this? And, and we start getting worried and all of this. And then we're just like, can I just get some grace? Yes, you can. If you'll fix your eyes. Into this place where the divine God has met the worst of us. There's grace. There's grace here. Grace. We get grace. And we get raised up. And we're able to live. We're able to endure. We're able to do things we never thought we would ever be able to endure through. The question is, will we fix our eyes? Where are our eyes fixed? And will we meet him? You know, I know that in our culture, Psalm 23 is often known as the funeral psalm. And and, you know, that's fine. And it's beautiful to read that at a funeral because I think we're going to experience all of those things in heaven too in even greater and fuller measure. I mean, that's just part of the holy mystery of God that we can experience much of it here and we'll experience it in great and enormous levels that we can't even imagine when we get to glory one day. But I've also become very convinced this year that Psalm 23 is a psalm of life and grace that I can experience right now in this life as I connect with the Lord and focus on Him. Now, what does that really look like, though? What does it look like for us to experience Psalm 23 in our lives here in 2013? What does it look like when you focus and you fix your eyes on the Lord and Psalm 23 just kind of gets spilled out as a grace all in your life? I want to tell you about something that happened to me in December to kind of give you maybe a description of how I think the Lord might work in these ways sometimes. So this past December, just a couple months ago, um, after a year of really enduring a lot and, and walking through this very broken relationship and And a hurt that was just so deep, you know. Well, you get to December and it all ramps up, right? (laughs) And some of you who know what that feels like, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because we have expectations about December, right? That's family tradition time. And that's where all the memories come in and the pictures and the this and the that. And we got to December. And even though I had gotten pretty good at this focusing thing, I thought, oh God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And the Lord just began to call me some more. Sharon, you can focus. We can do this, you know. And and I began to focus more and fix my eyes on him. And he was good and he was blessing me. But I mean, it was just a pain at a different level than what I had known already. 
But I was trying to just keep Christmas normal and do things, you know, like I normally would. And one of the things that I typically do is make Christmas ornaments that have some kind of scripture on them or something and give some away as gifts. And so I had kind of designed this ornament that I was going to make. Here's a picture of it right here. Um, kind of got the idea off Pinterest, but they used uh, <laughs> um, newspaper. And I actually um, was going to actually cover these balls in scripture and then put this little sign on them that says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I had made a bunch of them out of plastic balls and they all went fine. And one night about mid-December, I, I didn't have any more plastic ones and couldn't find any, so I had to buy glass balls. And they were actually a little bit bigger and they were hard to hold on to. And so I sat down one night late, you know, as often we do at Christmas, we're burning the, the midnight oil trying to get it all done and it's late and I normally go to bed early, but I thought I've got to get some of these things done. So sat down to work on these balls and, and picked it up and I'm like, how am I going to hold this and glue this scripture down on here with this decoupage stuff and everything? And so just, you know, out of whatever, I stuck my finger in the ball. Well, as soon as I did that, I was like, ouch, because I was trying to hold on to the ball. But what I didn't realize in the glass ball, there's like little pieces of glass in there, like glass shards. And they went down in my finger. So when I tried to pull it off, the thing's not coming off because the glass is in my finger and I just pushed it down even more and it hurt. And I was like, ow! And, and I thought, oh my goodness. I started to panic and I thought, I gotta get this off. So I, I went to kind of push it up to get it off and push it up over. But see, my finger was too fat and it wouldn't come off. And so it wouldn't go that way either. And I'm starting to panic because it really hurt. Glass was like all in my finger. So I thought, okay, if I just twist this thing a little bit this way, it'll do that. Well, that didn't work either. That just made it worse. And I'm like, starting to cry because I'm like, this hurts. And I was getting kind of upset because I'm like, that's God, and I can't even make a scripture ornament. Nothing's going right, you know? And so I, I twisted it the other way. It wouldn't come off. And I'm starting to panic and I'm starting to sweat. And I had this hoodie on, but I couldn't get it off because I got this dumb ball on my finger. And I just wanted to just go, and, you know, throw it all across the room. But couldn't do that because it's like Bible verses on the scripture thing. And on the ball. So I called my husband and I said, honey, I said, um, I need your help. So a lot of times my husband is kind of the, I'll fix it. I'll save the day. I don't know if yours is like that. So he comes in, he's like, oh, just pull it. And he goes to pull it off. I scream, no, it hurts. And he's like, calm down. And I'm like, you don't understand. It really hurts. And he's like, I do understand. Just turn it. And I'm like, no, I already tried that. And he's trying to do it. And I'm getting mad at him. And it's not going very well. And we're having this like big meltdown because I am crying now. And this thing hurts. And really the whole time it was going on, I knew it wasn't about that ball. It was about everything from this whole year just like coming up to the surface. And there was going to be a volcano. I could just feel it coming. But this thing really did hurt, too. I mean, I had glass all in my finger. My son comes in. He's about 16. And his eyes are like this big, looking at me like, Mom, something's wrong with you, you know? The next morning, I actually had to go into his room to wake him up. And he looked at me like, are you all right? You know, and I, I said, uh, just want you to know that lady that was in our house last night, she's not here anymore. Your mom's here again. He's like, good, Mom, good. Because he saw me lose it. And I mean, I did. I had total meltdown because we could not get this thing off. My husband tried everything. He was squirting soap down in there, trying to lubricate it, trying to get it off. I'm crying more and more. Finally, he goes and gets a hammer. And like, this is over like about an hour's time. Okay. And it's late and we are like go to bed early people. So we're nerves are kind of shot anyway. And, and he goes and he smashes it and glass goes 
everywhere. One of my fingers gets cut, it's bleeding. I've got snot running down my face and I can't wipe my face now because I've got glass all in me and my fuzzy pajamas and all of that. And, and you know what happened? The ball broke, but the little piece didn't. It's still stuck on my finger. And I was so mad at him and I'm just fussing at him and trying to get, you gotta get this thing off of me. And finally, I don't know, it had been about an hour. All of a sudden, it just came off. It just came off. And my finger, there wasn't a mark on it. And then I was embarrassed because I was like, it did hurt. It really, really did hurt. It's like, honey, I, I know, I know. So, so we swept it all up. But I'm telling you what, I was weeping. I mean, weeping. And I could not stop. I was so traumatized by this silly ball. And my husband kept saying, honey, it's okay. We got it off. Your finger's fine. We got your Band-Aid for the other one. It's fine. I'm like, no, it's not. And I just couldn't stop crying. We finally go to bed, but I couldn't sleep. And I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, Sharon, fix your eyes. Oh, I can't. And just tossing and turning. I was just so upset. And I knew it was just all the emotions and trying to keep Christmas normal. And even that wouldn't work. But finally, the Lord I was able to focus on him. And I want to show you the parallels that he showed me and the way that he began to minister to me. He said, Sharon, all year long, you've had this very fragile situation in your hand. And you've tried to hold on to it. And you've tried to do everything you knew to do to take care of it, to fix it, to cover it in the word, to put some glitter on it and make it all nice and pretty. But it didn't matter what you did. It wasn't working. In fact, it was just bringing a lot of pain every time you turned. In fact, if you tried to turn it one way, nothing worked. If you turned it another way, it just hurt even more. In fact, you even tried to squirt soap down in it to clean up this relationship that just won't work. And you're frustrated and you're tired. And now it's totally broken and it still hurts really, really bad. What happened to you tonight is a picture of everything that's been going on in your life all year long, and you're sitting in this pile of brokenness. But Sharon, one day, I'm going to take that thing off of you, and you're going to be just fine. And your family's going to be just fine. That's what happens when we fix our eyes on the Lord. I didn't see any of those parallels until the Holy Spirit began to show them to me. And minister them to me. And in that moment, he led me beside still waters. He restored my soul. He set a table of understanding out in front of me. Finally, somebody understood what I had been feeling all year long. I had had a lot of people pray with us and minister to us and bless us so, so much. But you know what? Nobody understands like Jesus. And in that moment, he met me. And he anointed my head with oil and he poured out grace on me and raised me up and gave me the grace to be able to walk through Christmas with a lot of joy. Now, let me tell you, every time I connect with the Lord, it's not that intense. I don't want to scare anybody away if you've not fixed your eyes on Jesus before, okay? It's not that intense usually. But every time I do connect with him and focus on him, I find grace. When I get in his word, When I'm hurting and I run and I tell him all about it, when I pray, when I worship, when I come away from all of this to the place where Jesus has met me, I find grace. 
And somehow, again and again and again, He raises me up many times a day, many times in the middle of the night when I wake up and just hurting. He raises me up when I will fix my eyes on Him. I find the grace to endure. You know, when God taught me about running, it didn't have anything to do with running. It was all about learning how to endure and fix my eyes on Jesus. And you may never run to the next house. It may not be your thing. God may not require that of you. But every single one of us are running through life. And we have to figure out how to endure. And many people are so hurting out here on this horizontal plane. And here God has met us here in this place and gives us grace if we will endure by fixing our eyes on Him. But again, what does that look like? What does it look like to fix your eyes on Jesus? You know, I think you have to move away from this and focus here to find out. See, just like I can't tell you, hey, go buy this pair of running pants and these running shoes and you'll be a runner. Nobody can give you a checklist to find out how to be a partaker of His grace. It it doesn't work that way. Every one of us as individuals have to come to the place where we take our eyes, our two eyes, and fix them on Jesus. And you know what we began to find out as we experience His grace. Now sure, in that process, you're going to end up getting in the Word, and you're going to worship, and you're going to pray, and you're going to do more of the same. I mean, our ministry exists to help people in those spiritual disciplines, and we've got all kinds of resources for things like that. But you know what? When you do that, you, you find out, hey, I like it here. This is a really good place to be fixed on Jesus. This is where life is. This is where true life is. And it doesn't mean that you stop doing life out here. It's just while you're doing life out here, you got your eyes fixed on Jesus. While all these things are going on, your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Because I guarantee you, at some point, most of this is going to get hard. And you're going to have to know how to fix your eyes on Jesus if you're going to want to endure with any kind of grace. And here is the beautiful thing too. When we do that, many times we find that others are fixing their eyes on Jesus too. And we get to enjoy some of the sweetest fellowship with people. Some relationships that are full of life and joy. Relationships that aren't about comparison. Relationships that aren't about competition or one-upping one another. No relationships that are just about being together with Jesus. I'm focused on Jesus and you're focused on Jesus and we get to do that together. We get to sit at that table that he prepares before us together and enjoy that. We, we get to walk, you know, uh, through the valley of the shadow of death together. We get to lounge by the green pastures together. And it's a, it's a joy. I mean, that's what tonight is about. Us coming together and making Jesus the focus and the center of these few hours together. And it's great, isn't it? If you've been at Northside for very long, you know that community groups are a very big thing here. Because they want people to do Jesus together. And so if you don't have a a group of people that you fellowship with Jesus together, you know what? There are groups here that would love for you to do that. And so we want to encourage you to ask somebody about community groups before you leave here tonight. Because it's just a joy to get to do Jesus together and to fix your eyes on Jesus together. But it starts with you as an individual, me as an individual, coming away from all of this and fixing our eyes on Him. We find joy, even in the midst of some things that we would have never chosen and that are really hard, that we might have to endure for the rest of our life. We find joy 
because he's met us here. And when we fix our eyes on him, his grace raises us up. And we live a cross-centered, Christ-centered life. What a beauty thing, beautiful thing that is. We want to take a couple moments before we leave here tonight, before all of this starts happening again, and give everybody a chance to focus, to fix your eyes, your eyes on Jesus. We're going to sing a song in a minute. And whatever you need to do to fix your eyes on Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. I know that some of you in this room tonight, you are so in need of the grace of the Lord. And I tell you what, after the year that I've had, I have such more compassion for people that are hurting. Because I know what it feels like to just feel like I can't even endure another second of this God. But you know what? He'll meet you. And there's sisters around you here tonight who will meet you. Maybe you need some people to pray for you. There's going to be some women up here to do that. We're going to just sing a simple song. I really encourage you. I I believe in an old-fashioned altar call. That's just me. You know, I think there's something really good that happens there because I believe there's something really good that happens when you do something physically with what God's calling you to do spiritually. I think that's why God called me to learn how to run. Had I not learned how to run, I'm telling you, I don't know if I'd be alive today because that's where God taught me how to endure. And there's something about some of us in this room really need to walk away from some of this stuff that is entangling and encumbering us. And if you were to get up out of your chair and to walk here, it's symbolic of you walking away from that and coming and saying, God, I know you're it and I'm going to fix my eyes on you. Everybody in here will rejoice with you for doing that. You don't have to say anything to anybody. You just come up here and you just fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, maybe he's shown you something new about the cross tonight. And you just want to talk to him about it. Or maybe he's shown you something in Psalm 23 and you were like, God, I need some of that. And so I want to get my eyes on you for that. Or maybe you just say, God, I don't even know what I need. I just need you. I need you to give me some grace. But we're going to sing this song. And I just encourage whatever you need to do to fix your eyes on Jesus, do it. Because he's so good to pour out his grace and to give us that raised up life that we don't deserve. His best meets our brokenness. Praise God. Praise God. He gives us the grace to endure. Let's sing.